Hello, I'm Dr. Jonathan Barker, pastor here at Amazing Grace Baptist Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I would like to personally thank you for taking out time today to tune in to our preaching podcast. We hope that this message will be a great encouragement to your heart today. Luke chapter number 15, when you found your place, I invite you to stand in honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word. Probably not going to tell you anything new that you don't already know, but maybe just put an emphasis on some things this morning, put an exclamation point by it this morning, read you a very familiar passage of Scripture, and uh, then we'll go home. Luke chapter number 15 and verse number 11, when you found your place, say amen. amen. Luke chapter number 15 verse number 11 says... And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, how many of you are thankful for that verse right there, when he came to himself? He said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. He said in verse number 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. And kissed him. Verse number 21 goes on to say, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned in heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be married. And uh, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing over the reading of His Word this morning. Our Father, in Jesus' name, I thank You for this day, Lord. God, I thank You for the utmost privilege it is to stand behind the sacred desk this morning, God. God, I thank you for this opportunity, Father. And God, I pray that you would help me and touch me this morning. I stand in a place where no man can stand alone, God. God, I pray that you would help me and touch me. I need power. I need unction this morning, God. God, I pray that your word would not fall on deaf ears this morning, God. And God, I pray that you would be with each and every individual that made their way out to the house of God. That you prepare our hearts for your preached word, God. And God, I pray that you be with our pastor this morning, God. That you continue to help him and his family, God. That they'll feel better in the days to come. And Lord, I pray that you would touch and help in that situation. For the ones that are here this morning that's going through a storm, going through a battle, God. God, I pray you would help them. For the ones that... Could have been here but aren't this morning, God. God, I pray that you would print their hearts, that they would draw closer to you in these days. Most of all, God, I pray that you would save that sinner closest to hell this morning, that you would restore the backslidden. And I'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. For it's in Jesus' name I pray it. 
Amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. Now as we dive into this scripture this morning, we find that where we're at in Luke chapter number 15, we find Jesus gathering together the publicans and the sinners, and, and the Bible says He spake to them this parable, and, and I find it very interesting because all my life I, I, I've got it wrong. I've, I've been told that this is that Luke 15 is three different parables, but what we find is Jesus said He spoke to them this parable, meaning it not to be three different parables, but to be one parable with three different parts. And those three different parts can be categorized as this, as, and we find the parable of the lost sheep in this Scripture, and then we find the parable of the lost silver, but then we've come to where we're at now, we find the parable of the lost son. And it's this, and it's this parable of this prodigal son that we all know so well, that I'd like for us to focus in on this morning. And, and, and a lot of times I have a title for my message, but I don't have a title, so we're just going to call this one Dakota's Super Awesome Message on Luke 15 and hope it lives up to the name. Amen. But we find, well, let's note a few things about the prodigal son this morning. Let's note first his shattering request. His shattering request. Look with me in verse number 12 what he did. He said, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. So we see in this passage of Scripture, we see the prodigal son goes to his father. Before he ever left the father's house, he said, Father, would you, I want the portion of goods that falleth to me. I want my inheritance, you would say. I find this very interesting due to the fact that we all know if you've been around any time at all that if you get an inheritance, it comes after that parent has already died. It comes after that parent has already passed away. So I dare say that what the prodigal was telling his father was that I wish you were already dead. I wish you were already dead. What he was telling him said, I don't want a relationship with you. I don't want fellowship with you anymore. I just want what's supposed to be mine so I can go on my merry way. And can I say, and we say, I dare say any of you that have children in this room, if your child come to you today and said, I don't want nothing to do with you anymore. I want my inheritance. I want to do what I want to do. And I wish you were already dead. I dare say, it would absolutely be monumental. It would be a heartbreaking statement, a shattering request for them to say that to you. But I begin to think about this. Is this not the very same thing we do as born-again Christians when we sin? Is that not the very same thing we're saying, God, I don't want fellowship with you. I don't want to be in good standings with you. I don't want to have a good relationship with you. I want what I already have. I want to get out of hell free card. I don't want to die into hell. But I don't want to have that relationship and that fellowship with you. It's exactly the same thing when we do, when we sin against God. And I'm beginning to think most of you stayed out too late last night watching fireworks. So some of you just looking at me like I'm dumb this morning. But listen, this is what the prodigal son done. He said, he said, he went to his father, he said, listen, I don't want nothing to do with you anymore. said, your rules, being in your household, I don't want nothing to do with it anymore. I just want what's mine. I want what's coming to me. I want my portion of goods. We see the prodigal shattering request, but then we see his shocking response. Look with me in verse number 13. It says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered together and took his journey into a far country. We see his sovereign response. We see that then he packs up, he takes what's supposed to be his, and he goes to a town known 
as, as what is called the far country. The far country. And I thought about this, although the prodigal never left the father's house until he got his inheritance, I bet in his mind he was already gone before he ever asked for his inheritance. Before the prodigal ever left the father's house, he was already gone. He was already gone. How many of you have seen it time and time again being in churches? They come in and they're on fire for God. They want to get something done. They want to, they want to be on the forefront of everything. Oh, but it doesn't come time and you see their eyes starts to wander. You see they're not there in their mind. They may be there physically. Hey, but they're not involved like they used to be. Hey, you don't believe me? Look around. How many of you before, how many of you can name people that, that used to fill these empty pews before COVID started? Before COVID started, hey, we could barely fit, fit another person in this church. We was on the brink of busting out the seams. But you know what happened in the midst of all of this? In the midst of all of this, we really found out who was focused on serving God. We really found out who was serious about staying with it and who was serious about serving God in the day and age in which we live in, in the church. And we see that before the prodigal ever left the father's house, he was already gone. I wonder if there may be some young person here this morning, or even some adult this morning, although you're in church physically this morning. You're here, you may have come to Sunday school this morning. If you didn't come to Sunday school, you need to come to Sunday school. Somebody say amen. amen. But you may have come to Sunday school this morning. You may have got ready. You may have brought your Bible. You may put on your Sunday best. You may have a smile on your face. But in your mind, you could care less that you're in church this morning. Your mind's already thinking about where we're going to go eat after church. What I've got to do this week. That upcoming family trip that I've got going on. Hey, your mind's everywhere but being in the house of God this morning. Listen, that is a dangerous place for a child of God to be. A dangerous place for a child of God to be. If you're saved and born again, the Bible says that the chastening head of God will come upon you. And listen, 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 I can't do the things that I've done before I was saved. I can't do the th I can't go the same places. I can't talk the same way. I can't hang around the same people because there is when I if I even think about it, there's a still small voice inside the Holy Spirit to begins to convict me about that. It says, "Look, that's not right. Look, you can't be a child of God and do this. You can't be a child of God and do that. You can't do this like you used to. You can't do this like you used to because listen, the Holy Spirit." And the things of the world, they don't blend well together. The one preacher described it as a battle within of two dogs that are fighting one another. And you say, which one wins? And the answer is the one that you feed the most. The one that you feed the most. The Bible says, no man can serve two masters. It said, for he will love the one and hate the other. He said, no, he said, you can't serve God and mammon at the same time. It said, it doesn't work. And you know what I find? How many of you understand the terminology when I say there's someone straddling the fence. They, they may be here on Sunday morning. They may be here on Sunday night. And, they may look, and it may seem like everything's fine on the outside. But you can guarantee that when it comes time for a revival meeting, they're not going to be here. They're not going to be here when, when the going gets tough. They're not going to be here to help do things at the church. They're going to be out at the ball field somewhere. They're going, to be, they're going to be out doing things they want to do. Other than that, to ask God, hey, listen, I've read the Bible, not all of it through. I wish I could say I have, probably at different times, not in systematic order, but not one time have I ever found a fence for someone to straddle in the Bible. 
I found walls that need to be stood on. I found walls that need to be built up and walls that need to be tore down. But not one time have I ever found a fence for anyone to straddle in the Bible. You say, where does this come from? You look with me in Revelation 3. What happened, what, what, what God said to the, to the church of Ephesus, I believe it was, He said, because you are neither hot nor cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Essentially, I'm not trying to be driving. Essentially, what He's saying if you study that word spew, he's saying that it makes God sick that they were lukewarm. They weren't hot and they weren't cold, but they were lukewarm. They were straddling the fence and it made God sick. Lord, help us not to be lukewarm Christians. Lord, help us not to be lukewarm Christians. I, I, I'm worried and concerned that the day and age and, this, and the sign of the times that we're having today has revealed a lot of lukewarm Christians. It's revealed a lot of people that said, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'll stand up for what I believe in, I'll go with you till the end. And where are they at now? You know what happened? This is what happened. There's a, little, there's a statistic today that says people are happy with 80% of their life. Say that, people, say that most people say they are happy with 80% of their life. I've never heard anyone say they're 100% happy with everything in their life. Either we want a bigger house, we want a newer car, we want more money, we want... If you're Brother Joe, you want more hair and all that. I'm sorry, you just caught my attention. I had to have somebody. But listen, they say that people are happy with 80% of their life. Which I'm not good at math, but that's not 100%. That leaves 20%. And you know what happens? They'll spend their entire life chasing that 20%. And you know what happens? One day they may reach that 20%. But they forgot all about the 80% that they already have. So you chase after and you know what happens? Then you have 100% of the 20%. But you have 0% of the 80%. Hey, if we're not careful, even today in church, we're in our eye on who's all not here, that we'll forget about the ones that are still here. That the ones that have been faithful, the ones that have stuck it out, Hey, listen, it happens all the world. We'll, we'll, people do it with churches all the time. Said, well, that church has got more to offer my family. That church has got more to offer me. I can get more from that church. That church has more money. They can do this, and they can do that, and they have more programs for the youth. And they'll get their eye on the 20%. And they'll chase after that 20%, and they'll get it. But then, now you'll find they're out of sound doctrine. Their music's all over. Their dress is all over the world. Hey, listen, I'm preaching real good this morning. You'll get your eye on the 20% and you'll forget about the 80% that you already had. Can I tell you what the devil's interested in in your life? He's interested in three things. Two, if you're not married. Three, if you are married. Four, if you're a preacher. I'm not good at math. But. He's interested in your mind. If he can get your mind... He can manipulate your actions. He can get your thoughts, what you think about. If he can control your mind, he can control anything he wants. What did the Bible say? say that he transform us through the renewing of our minds. Our minds are a little powerful thing. And if he can get control of your mind, he can control everything else. And it all goes hand in hand. But he's interested in your mind. He's interested in your money. If he can get you spending your money on everything else other than doing what you're supposed to do, other than providing for your family, other than taking care, of the, other than giving your money back to the local assembly of God, and all that stuff, if he can get you doing all that, then you know what? He wins. Because then eventually it'll split your family up. 
It'll split your church up. The church will, will close the doors. There's churches closing doors all over. What makes us any exempt from the rest of them is because we got people that are guarding their mind and that are guarding their money. But listen to this. The devil's also interested in your marriage. He's interested in your marriage. I, how many of you know someone that on the outside seemed like they had a very happy marriage? But something come along and they got their eye on the 20% from somebody else. And they, I, I'm preaching, and they chased that 20% until they got it, but they lost the 80% that they had. What about Adam and Eve? The, what more could they have wanted? They had perfect fellowship. The Bible says that God came down and walked with them in the cool of the day. Perfect fellowship with God, a perfect world. What more could they have wanted? But you know what? Satan got Eve's mind. And you know what happened eventually? They got their eye on the 20% that they couldn't have. And they took her off the 80% that they already had. That's where we, And Eve got everything that she wanted. But she lost what she already had. And you may get everything that you want. But it'll cost you what you already have. What we do, every single one of us, a lot of good is just say, God, I'm thankful and I'm happy with what I've got. I'm going to praise you for what you've blessed me with already. I'm going to praise you for what you've gave to my family already. And Lord, if you want us to have that other 20% to go with our 80%, then that's in your time and then that's in your will. But until then, I'm going to praise you for the 80% that you've already gave me. That's what would help each and every one of us today. So we see... He got what he wanted, but he lost what he already had. The prodigal son did. So then we see his shattering request and his shocking response, but then we see his sinful recreation. Look with me in verse number 13, what the Bible said. It says, And not many days after, if you, if you underline in your Bible, I'd underline that phrase, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey to a far country. And look at this. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. Not many days after, I find that very interesting. If you study this type of person that this father was, he was a very wealthy man, very successful man. Chances are that boy's inheritance should have been enough to last him the rest of his life. He should have been able to live off that inheritance the rest of his life. And you know what the Bible finds here? It says that not many days after. Not many days after he left, he done blew it all. He done blew it all, wasted it with riotous living. Listen, listen, we need to be thankful for those people that God's put in our life that's trying to keep us from wasting our substance on riotous living. Your substance doesn't just have to be your money. That'd be your talent, your potential that you have to serve God. Hey, listen, how many of you have encountered someone and they're on fire for God and they begin to wobble just a little bit and the preacher tries to, hey, listen, put up a warning and say, look, you're going down the wrong way. Look, you don't want to go this way. There's nothing for you that way. And they get mad and they go that way anyways. And what happens? They end up in ruins. And nine out of ten times, you know what happens? A couple months later, preacher, you were right. I should have listened to you. You was, hey, I, listen to me this morning. You better be careful and guard yourself from the attacks of the devil this morning. Listen, you'll find yourself in the far country. And listen to me, there's nothing, nothing worth going to the far country. At all, there's nothing good over there. A lot of people say, well, the grass is greener on the other side. Well, most time where the grass is greener, that's where the septic tank's at. 
And listen, you might get over there, and a lot of times, how many of us, we chase that thing that's greener on the other side. We get over there, we realize it's really not as green as it looked on the other side of the fence. We find ourselves in that place where we see his sinful recreation. I can't help but, I've got an overactive imagination. I can't help it. But I, we, we have bank cards now. They didn't have that in that time. So I, I, I see the prodigal son, he's toting his inheritance down the streets of the far country. He, he maybe got money, you've seen the car, got money coming out of every pocket. He's toting them bads with the dollar signs on He's got his inheritance, he's toting it. And as he's walking down the street, I picture everybody's walking by. Who is that? I want to be his friend. Maybe some of the girls are looking at him going, man, he's cute. He ain't cute, he's just got money. <laughs> but, but he's walking down through there. And they're thinking, man, I want to be his best friend. How many of you know when you got a party full of money, everybody wants to be your best friend? Everybody wants to be your best friend. And they're coming up to him and saying, listen, listen, I know you're new in town. I know you want to see the greatest attractions there are. You come with me. I'll show you the best way to get your best for your money and all this. And before you know it, he's wasted that substance right as living. And now, you know what I find interesting? Watch this. His situation become rough in verse number 14. Look. And when he had spent all there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. He began to be in want. So you know what happened? Now he's in the far country. He's away from home, and he's broke. And now there's a famine that has rose in the land. Sounds like he's in a rough spot, don't it? He began to be in want. You know what happened? His party come to an end. Listen, I, 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 listen. You, you ain't got to be honest with me. You, but God already knows exactly what you're doing. But there's going to come a day your party's going to come to an end. You may say, "Well, I'll serve God when I get older. I'll serve God when it's convenient. I'll serve God when things, when I settle down, when I find a family, when I get out of my own, things will be a lot better." But listen to me, and listen to me well. It's not always greener on the other side. And He began to be wanting. There will come a day when your party will come to an end. When there'll come a famine in that land. The Bible says, and you may have fun for a while. You say, why do you say that? Because the Bible says there's pleasure in sin, but it's for a season. It's for a season. And if those seasons are anything like North Carolina seasons, you better just hang on. It's going to change real quick. Listen, he began to be in want, but look at this. What did it say? If, look with me in, look with me in verse number 16 at the latter part. It says, and no man gave unto him. And no man gave unto him. So you know what has happened now? Now he's in the far country. He's lost everything. There's a famine in the land. And all those ones that were his best buddies a few days before, he had a pot full of money. He's nowhere to be found. So, so you couldn't find them with, with the best bloodhound in, in the county. They were gone. You couldn't, you couldn't find them. They were gone. And how many of you know that's exactly what happens? When everything's going good, when, it's, when the bills are paid, when there's money in your pocket, when everything is going what we would consider well, everybody's there. Everybody's friend, everyone's great. But you let that one little rough patch come in your life, that one little, that one little thing come about, and you'll find out who your true friends are because you'll look around and they're not there anymore. His situation became rough. So we see when the money runs out, the party runs out too. And so do those friends. They run out as well. But I, and right now, we see that he then joins himself to a citizen of this country, and he sends him into his fields to feed swine. 
So right now for our prodigal son, things are looking really bleak. Things are looking dark. Things, things look like there's no way he can recover from where he's at. That he has ruined his entire life right here. But then he gets a great idea. When we see him, look with me in verse number 18, what he said. We're in verse number 17. And it says, And when he came to himself, and when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. He's remembered down there at Dave's house, he's remembered they had all kinds of food down there. They had bread enough and to spare. But yet he's in the far country, perishing in a famine. Look with this. In verse number 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. We see he showed repentance. You say, how do you see that? Because in verse number 18, he says, I will arise. But look at the beginning, verse number 20, what he said. It says, and he arose. And he arose. There's a big difference between saying you're going to do something and actually putting it into action and doing it. A big difference. So in verse number 18, he, he talked about repentance. He said, I will rise. He said, I'll go to my Father, I will do that. But in verse number 20, he repents. He says, and, and he arose and he went. So there's a big difference between that. And I preached all morning to get right here to give you this. Let's look at what happens when he goes back to the Father's house. What happens? So we see that after he had spent all, had his fun, after his party ended, he had been feeding swine in that far country, he gets the bright idea to return to his father's house. He said, well, though he'll never let me be his son again, I done told him I wished he was already dead, already got my inheritance, maybe he'll make me as one of his hired servants, so at least maybe I can get some food. So at least maybe I, I, I can live. But we see he went to his father, he went back home, so look with me what happened. It said in verse number 20, And he rose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. His father saw him. Now I got to thinking about this. If you're going to see something from a great ways off, it's going to be really difficult to see if you're not looking for it, ain't it? It's going to be real difficult to see if you ain't looking for it. I think about, I think about, I'm one of those people that'll stop the car in the middle of the road when I see a deer in the field on the side of the road. Anybody else with me? <laughs> but but I, I'll, I'll be driving away, and we'll be driving down the road, and I'll say, look at that deer, and everybody else in the car, where? You know why they can't see it? Because they're not looking for it. They're not looking for it. But we see that the prodigal son's father saw him a great ways off, meaning he had to be looking for him to come back. I wonder how many days that the pro I don't know how long he was gone, whether it was a few days, it had to be a few days, it says not many days after. He, he went broken a few days, but I wonder how long he was feeding swine in the far country, how long he was gone for. And I wonder if every morning the father didn't step out on the porch of, of his house or of his palace, wherever it's at, and go, well, I don't see him. Maybe today will be the day my boy will come home. Maybe today will be the day my boy will come home. And I can't imagine, and, and, and I know this, you ever, you ever can see someone in a crowd and know it's them by the way they carry themselves, by the way they walk, by the way they look. And I believe he might have stepped out on the porch that morning. 
He might have said, well, there's something moving way down there on the horizon. That kind of looks like my boy. He kind of walks like my boy. I believe as he got a little bit closer, he said, well, I'm not going to wait for him to come here. I'm going to go meet him. And he said, I believe that's my boy. And I believe that father, it says that father ran. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran. Now that's, that's a big statement because of this. If you study the customs of a wealthy man, he wouldn't run in nowhere. He wouldn't run in nowhere. He probably had a chariot that could have took him there or a horse or something of that nature, but a wealthy man wouldn't run in nowhere. But he said, man, I don't care about my status. I don't care about how wealthy I am. All I know is that my boy is coming home. My boy is coming home and he saw him and he ran and had compassion and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, you study that out, why it was that he fell on him, and, and I believe that if you study it out, he took him all the way to the ground. And the reason is this, is because he was considered at that point a traitor to the family. And he was to be stoned if he decided to come back home. But you know what happened? The father stepped between the judgment and the son. Anybody catch where I'm doing yet? But I thought about this also. Anybody that knows anything about feeding hogs or feeding swine knows one thing for certain, you're going to get dirty in the hog line. You don't wear your tatties and your wing tips to feed pigs. You just don't do it. You're going to get dirty. But one thing that I found interesting was when the father fell on his neck, nailed the muck and the mire from that far country, that sinful land, it was no longer just on the son, but now it was on the father because he had fell on him. I thought about, y'all didn't see this, y'all were gone already, but the other night when we had the watermelon and all that stuff after, outside of the fellowship hall and all that good stuff, when it was all said and done, the preacher, Brother Matt, got the bright idea to dump the cooler water on Brother Heath while he was spraying the tables off. So they dumped that cooler water on him, and you know it's the first thing he done? He run up to Miss Morton and hugged her. You know why? Because he was soaking wet. And when he hugged her, you know what happened? Then she would be wet too. So it's the same principle. The mucky mire from the far country, from that sinful life that the son had been living in, that sin was now on the father. That mucky mire was now on the father. Does that remind you of any time? Oh, I sure am thankful for a day about two th over 2,000 years ago when the God of heaven sent Jesus, to, or He lived 33 and a half sinless years, and then took our sins upon Him, when nailed it to the cross, He died in our stead. You say, what's so good about Calvary? What's so great about Calvary? What makes Calvary so great is simply this. It's where God took our filthiness and our, uh, our righteousness as filthy rags and put it on Jesus and took His righteousness of greatness and put it on us. And I sure am thankful for the eternal work that was completed at Calvary when He put our sins upon Him to the point that His own Father had to turn His back on Him, couldn't look upon His sin anymore. Not because He had to, but because He wanted to. We see that He got to the Father, so the Father ran and met Him. Ran and met Him and fell on Him. But I thought about this, look with me what else He did. I find this interesting. Not one time has the Father spoke to the prophet yet that we see recorded. He ain't said a word to him yet. But what happened? 
He said, And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But look at this, and I still yet see where the father talked to the prodigal. But what did he say? But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe. I, ma- I imagine it was one of those situations when I'd get in trouble as I was a kid, and I'd try to justify what I'd done. Daddy, I'm sorry. Daddy, I'm sorry I've done this. I don't want to hear it. I'm not hearing it. I'm not hearing it. I imagine it's one of those situations where he's like, Don't, don't, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear your apology. But he told his servants, Bring forth the best robe. If you studied out, that best robe would have been the Father's robe. Would have been the Father's robe. Revelation 19 talks about the great, at the, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, the people that are attending that heavenly celebration will be dressed in fine linen, a robe of righteousness, as they'll call it. And one thing that I find very interesting about that is he was working as what was known as an indentured servant in the far country, feeding swine, trying to just live and make it by. So chances are his clothes was probably in tatters. They were probably tore up. He was dirty. And he, was, and he was covered in the muck and mire of that sinful life. But when the father's servant put that best robe on him, he didn't look like the far country anymore. He didn't look like an indentured servant anymore. You know what he looked like? He looked like the father because he had the father's robe on. Listen, I'm glad that the day I got saved, and I got born again, hey, listen, I, I didn't look like I used to no more. No longer did, did God see me as a sinner as being separated with that Adamic nature. But then, now when he sees me, all he sees is the blood. He sees that robe of righteousness. And I find this, that robe will, have, will do some things in your life. It will change one's appearance. It will change one's appearance. Listen, if you'll study it out in marriage celebrations in the Bible, you'll find that when every guest accepted their invitation to that wedding, they were given a white wedding garment to wear to the wedding when the time comes. And listen, although, and you know, those people, they may have come from everywhere. They may come from the fields. They may have come from the palaces. But when they put on them robes, every single one of them looked alike. It changed their appearance. They looked more like the Father. If you've truly been born again, truly been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, the chances are you're not going to look like the world no more. You're going to try to make yourself look more like a Christian, more becoming of His name. That's what you're going to do. We see that that robe, we see that that robe speaks of His righteousness, speaks of the Father's righteousness. But then what else did He tell him? He said, and put a ring on His hand. And put a ring on His hand. Now if you studied out that ring, it would have like a crest or a family seal or something like that on it. And they, what they would do is they would, the Father could use that ring a lot like a credit card. He could dip it in that wax and He could use it to stamp documents and say, that's, uh, that's my signature. I'm good for that. Uh, that. You know, just like your credit card. So you know what he was saying? He was saying, listen, put that ring on his finger. He said, I know he's already got his inheritance. He's already wasted all that. He said, but there's more than enough the Father's house. There's more than enough to spare. He said, here, give him my ring. Tell him to put it on the Father's behalf. But then I thought about this. I'll give you this, and I'll be done. Look with me what he said about, and then he said, and put shoes on his feet. Now in the far country, he was serving as an indentured servant. If you study anything, and I'm even hesitant to say this word in the day and age in which we live, slavery. If you study anything about slavery, you'll, chances are them slaves didn't have no shoes on. 
they didn't wear shoes. Chances are. So you know what happened? That prodigal son, he came home as a servant, as a slave to that far country, that sin. But you know what the father said? He said, put shoes on his feet. But listen, slaves don't wear shoes, but sons do. But sons do. He said, look, I know you just wanted to be a hired servant. He said, but no, you're my son. You're my son. He put shoes on his feet. Aren't you glad when we mess up, we go to that far country, we get bound down in that life, that, hey, it's happened. If it ain't happened, you better hold on because it'll happen eventually. If you did out there and you did away from God, aren't you glad if you're saved born in when you come back, He doesn't strike you down. He doesn't beat you down. He says, cleans you up, puts your new righteousness on, puts those shoes on your feet. But I thought about this. That those shoes represented his relationship with the Father. But I'll give you this, and then I'll be done. Then what did he say? And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be married. Now that killing of the fatted calf is very interesting, because if you remember, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So we see that the Bible says that they killed that fatted calf. There's no way to kill that fatted calf without there being shedding of blood right there. That fatted calf wasn't just any calf. It was one they put up, they had prepared. So that, that calf represented his remission for his sins. What did it say? And let us eat and be married. He had a relationship with the Father again. Had a relationship with the Father. Listen to me. Miss Tanya, if you will, make your way to the piano this morning. I'm just about done right here. But I want, I want you to think about this with me for a minute. If you're, if you're right with God where you're supposed to be, then this don't apply to you. But I wonder, there may be one here this morning. Although you're here this morning, you've come to church, you've been faithful through COVID-19 and all this, in your mind, you're not here. In your mind, you're already gone. You're thinking about what you're going to do after service. You're thinking about you may be a young person, you're thinking, well, when I turn 18, I get out of the house. I'll never go back. I'll never dart in the doors of a church den. I'll, I'll be able to do things my own way. You better be careful. As Brother Joe said this morning in prayer room in Sunday school, and if you missed it this morning, it was great. I wonder if that product was could have seen the other side. He was talking about being able to see the other side. The disciples being able to see the other side when they crossed over to the other side. I wonder if the prodigal could have seen what was going to happen when he left the father's house, if he'd ever went. If the prodigal could have seen that he was going to get there, and then his life was going to go to shambles, chances are he probably wouldn't have went. He probably wouldn't have went. He'd have stayed right there at the father's house. At least that's what the problem is. You're starting to wonder because you can't see what's on the other side. You're getting mad at everyone that's trying to put up warning signs for you. But they've, they've already been there. They've seen the other side. They don't want you to go down that same path, that same way. Listen to me. If that prodigal could have seen what was the, the heartache and the pain and the suffering that he would have faced... On the other side, chances are, he'd have never went to the far country. 
And listen, I didn't come here this morning to try to throw no one under the bus, no, dry no axes or anything, but listen to me this morning. I wonder if there may just be one here this morning. And in your, in your mind, that lost loved one, that family member in your life, that maybe used to be closer to God than what they are, they're going through your mind right now. Because they're going towards that far country. And you're just thinking, I wish they could have saw what was going to happen over there. They wouldn't be in the situation they're in now. Or you may be that one here this morning, and you're thinking this to yourself. You're thinking, ah, it'll be okay. A little time in the far country. Ain't going to hurt nothing. I think about when you go fishing, that lure that you use when you fish, it's made to have a natural presentation. It's not supposed to make a big splash. It's just supposed to make a little bloop. And you know, that's what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, what I'm doing, it's not making a big splash. It's just making a little bloop. But underneath it, there's still a hook. And sin will hook you. And, that far, and you'll stay longer than you want to stay. You'll pay more than you ever thought you would ever pay. You'll do things you never thought you'd do. That I bet that prodigal son never thought he'd ever be in the far country feeding swine. But sin will make you do things you never thought you'd ever do. Sin will make you watch things you never thought you'd watch. It'll make you say things you never thought you'd say. Listen this morning. And I'm not, I'm not up here saying acting like I'm some holy individual. Because each and every one of us is just one decision away from being in the same situation that prodigal son was. It was his one decision to go to his father and say, I want my inheritance that landed him in the far country.